Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kim Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. This year has been dedicated to the patronage of St. Joseph, the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary and foster father of Jesus. St. Joseph has about a million titles, spouse of the Mother of God, chaste guardian of the Virgin, foster father of the Son of God, diligent protector of Christ, head of the Holy Family, Joseph Most Chaste, Joseph Most Strong, Joseph Most Obedient, Pillar of Families, Hope of the Sick, Patron of the Dying, Terror of Demons, Protector of the Holy Church, ad infinitum. And yet, throughout the whole of the Gospels, we never hear a single word that he spoke, quoted, or recorded. Today, we'll listen to three podcasts about St. Joseph. First is an episode from 19 on 19th, a production of Relevant Radio. In this podcast, Patrick Madrid presents teachings about the Church Fathers on St. Joseph. Here is Patrick Madrid. Thanks for joining us for this special year of St. Joseph presentation from Relevant Radio, 19 on the 19th. A 19-minute talk on St. Joseph on the 19th of the month, the day dedicated to St. Joseph. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Madrid, host of The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. And I'm going to take you on a brief tour of the Church Fathers' writings about St. Joseph, the most chaste spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and foster father, guardian, and protector of the Christ child. In this year of St. Joseph, we reflect in a special way on his life of heroic virtue and his unwavering faith in and obedience to God, as revealed to us in the Holy Bible and the tradition of the Catholic Church. Even though the biblical details of St. Joseph's life and his role in God's plan of salvation are not very extensive by comparison, say, to the details revealed about the Apostles, what we do know of him by divine revelation paints a portrait of a good and just man who always put God first and whose quiet life of service to our Blessed Lady and to Jesus Christ was marked by a quiet reserve and the humility one would expect from the head of the Holy Family. Naturally, since the early Church Fathers were steeped in the Old and New Testaments, and as they spent the better part of their lives studying and meditating upon and writing learned treatises about God's revelation in Scripture, we can expect them to have spent at least some time focusing on St. Joseph. And so they did. Since the Bible doesn't provide us with many details about St. Joseph, it's not surprising that the fathers concentrated their commentaries about him on his role as the foster father of the Son of God, the most chaste spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and as the head of the Holy Family. One particular area of focus by the Church Fathers was St. Joseph's virginal relationship with Our Lady. Now here, I'm indebted to the scholarship of Florent Raymond Bilodeau, who, in a 1957 Licentiate of Sacred Theology thesis at St. Mary's University in Baltimore, provides research into what the Church Fathers said in their commentaries about St. Joseph, and this led him to say the following. He said, We find no general tradition in the Latin Fathers on the question of St. Joseph's virginity. In fact, the material on St. Joseph in their writings is comparatively scant. Very few speak at any length about St. Joseph. Our information, save a few scattered references, is practically confined to Saints Jerome 
Ambrose, and St. Augustine. Refutation of heretics, sermons, scriptural commentaries, especially on the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, make up the general area from which knowledge pertaining to St. Joseph may be obtained. On the specific question of Joseph's virginity, their writings bring out four points with varying degrees of clarity. Number one, St. Joseph did not generate Jesus. Two, he never had intercourse with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Three, he was not married before his betrothal to Mary. And four, he always remained a virgin. And this, I think, may be of great surprise to many people. Uh, there are different theories that have arisen as to who, for example, the brothers of the Lord might be. And uh, in a few minutes, you'll see what these church fathers had to say about that. But uh, Bilodeau, our scholar, to whose... Uh, efforts I am greatly indebted in bringing you this conversation about the Church Fathers and what they had to say about St. Joseph. He says that, quote, Joseph did not generate Jesus, that this is clearly stated in many places by St. Ambrose and St. Jerome and St. Augustine and not a few of the Greek Fathers. St. Ambrose, who died in the year 397, he restates in a more pointed manner St. Luke's idea that the belief that Joseph was the natural father of Jesus was limited to the Jews of that period. According to St. Ambrose, first of all, no one should be surprised at the text where it says, who was thought to be the son of Joseph. For rightly was this a just supposition because by birth Christ was not the son of Joseph, but the supposition existed because Mary who had brought him forth was espoused to Joseph, her husband. So his point here is that the phrase in the Bible where it says that he was thought to be the son of Joseph, that would be easily explained because not everybody understood the details of the virgin birth. St. Jerome, according to Bilodeau, he brings out the idea that the reason why Joseph was called the father of Jesus was to protect Mary's reputation. So he says, the evangelists call Joseph a father, Mary calls him father, not that he had been truly the father of Jesus, but that he was thus considered by all in order to safeguard Mary's reputation. Continuing, Bilodeau says that in his Sermon 51, St. Augustine vigorously defends both St. Joseph's role as Our Lady's most chaste spouse, as well as the fact that he was truly reckoned as the foster father of Jesus, saying, and this is St. Augustine speaking, Here's another of their niggling objections. Christ's ancestry, they say, is traced through Joseph and not through Mary. They say it ought not to have been traced through Joseph. Why oughtn't it? Wasn't Joseph Mary's husband? No, they reply. Who says he is? Well, Augustine responds, Scripture says he was her husband, on the angel's authority. Don't be afraid, it says, to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He is also told to give the child a name, even though it was not born of his own seed. She will bear a son, it says, and you shall call his name Jesus. Scripture does, of course, deliberately state that he was not born of Joseph's seed. When Joseph, anxious about how Mary came to be pregnant, is told of this by the Holy Spirit, and yet is not deprived of his paternal authority, since he is told to give the child's name. And in any case, St. Augustine says, the Virgin Mary herself, perfectly aware that she had not conceived Christ by Joseph's conjugal embrace, 
still calls him Christ's father. When the Lord Jesus Christ was 12 years old as a human being, since as God he is before all time and beyond all time, he stayed behind in the temple when they left and went on engaging his elders in discussion and winning their admiration at his teaching. They were returning from Jerusalem and looked for him in their company, that is, among those they were traveling with. When they didn't find him, they went back very worried to Jerusalem and found him discussing things in the temple with the old men when he was, as it was said, 12 years old. But he said, why be surprised? The word of God is never silent, though he is not always heard. So he is found in the temple, and his mother says to him, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been very worried, looking for you. And he said, Did you not know that I have to be about my father's business? Luke chapter 2, 48-49 He said this because he was the Son of God in the temple of God. That temple, after all, wasn't Joseph's, but God's. So there you are, somebody says. He didn't agree that he was Joseph's son. Now, just a little more patience, please, brothers, St. Augustine says, because we haven't much time, and we want it to last through this sermon. Pausing here, St. Augustine is preaching this to the people. Keep in mind that this is a sermon, one of his very important sermons, where he emphasizes the true fatherhood of St. Joseph of Jesus, not as his biological father, but as his legal father. So he continues talking about this passage in Luke's Gospel, saying, When Mary said, Your father and I have been very worried looking for you, he answered, Do you not know that I have to be about my father's business? Because he was not willing to be their son in such a way that they didn't realize he was the Son of God. The Son of God is always the Son of God, St. Augustine says, the one who created them after all. But as Son of Man, born in time of the Virgin, without seed of her husband, he still had each of them as a parent. How do we prove this, St. Augustine says? Mary has already said, your father and I have been very worried looking for you. Now, Bilodeau says in his commentary, he says, showing St. Joseph as an example of a man who did not despise servile work, Augustine tells a group of monks that, quote, this just man chosen to be a witness of perpetual conjugal virginity, he to whom was espoused the Virgin Mary, who brought forth Christ, was a carpenter. After saying that St. Joseph could not possibly have broken the bond of marriage when he saw that Mary was pregnant, St. Augustine adds that Joseph, quote, did not judge the bond of conjugal faith to be broken thus because the hope of sexual intercourse was absent. St. Augustine also eulogizes St. Joseph's great purity, saying, Let his greater purity confirm his fatherhood. Let not Holy Mary reprimand us, for she was unwilling to place her name before that of her husband, but said, Thy father and I have been seeking thee sorrowing. Therefore, St. Augustine says, Let not perverse murmurers do what the virginal wife did not do. Let us count the generations of Christ through Joseph, because as he was a virginal chaste husband, so was he a virginal, chaste father. In another text from St. Augustine, we are given the idea that St. Joseph himself was also a virgin. St. Augustine said, Preserve, O Joseph, together with Mary your wife, the virginity of your members, for out of virginal members is begotten the power of angels. 
Let the spouse Mary be the mother of Christ in the flesh by preserving her virginity. You, however, are also to be the father of Christ by safeguarding her chastity and honor. So Bilodeau says, with regard to this bearing on Mary's perpetual virginity and the related issue of the brethren of the Lord, so-called, he says, so far we have but expressed in greater detail and with more precision two ideas from the Gospels. Joseph was not the natural father of Jesus, and his marriage with Mary was a virginal union. One would logically ask whether or not the Latin church fathers speak of Joseph's life before he was betrothed to the Blessed Virgin. Here many fathers and ecclesiastical writers denied Joseph's virginity by their declarations that the brethren of the Lord were his children from a former marriage. They are Origen, Epiphanius, Gregory of Nyssa, Cyril of Alexandria, Theophylact, Theodoret, St. John Chrysostom, St. Ambrose, and St. Hilary of Poitiers. This list at first sight might seem to outweigh the evidence we have just presented. However, a closer look at the statements of these men gives us a different impression. First of all, it is important to note that most of them, save for St. Ambrose and St. Hilary, were Greek fathers. The Eastern fathers were highly influenced by the Apocrypha, a group of writings of a religious character which at times made pretensions to divine authority. These writings elaborate on St. Joseph. Very little of what they say is of any historical value. The Apocrypha, however, are significant in that they represent an attempt to supplement the comparatively few details of the Gospels on the subject of the hidden life of Christ. They attest to the fact that devotion to St. Joseph was alive in the first centuries. All of them, save the Gospel of the Nativity of Mary, ascribe to St. Joseph children from a former marriage. Under the influence of these spurious writings, many subscribe to the idea that the brethren of the Lord were the children of Joseph by a previous wife. It is important to note that none are emphatic in holding this point. This, by the way, is Bilodeau speaking. He said they adopted it because it is an easy solution to the thorny question of explaining the relationship between our Lord and his so-called brothers. For example, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. Another reason why they take up this view is to safeguard the perpetual virginity of Mary. Origen, for example, states that it is precisely in order to protect Mary's virginity that some call the brethren of the Lord sons of Joseph. Induced by the report of the gospel named after Peter, or the book of James, some affirm that the brethren of Jesus are the sons of Joseph by a former wife whom he wedded before Mary. However, those who make this assertion ultimately wish to safeguard the dignity of Mary's virginity in order that the body chosen to minister to the word might never know man's consortship. St. Ambrose, incidentally, alludes to the brethren of the Lord as being most probably the sons of Joseph, but he finds ample proof of Mary's virginity in the fact that the word brother can also signify cousin. The brethren of the Lord, Bilodeau says, could have been born from Joseph and not from Mary. This indeed anyone will find if he looks at the question more diligently, we have not thought to investigate these things because the name brother is evidently common to many. Bilodeau says, St. Jerome, with his usual directness and energy, refutes the tales of the Apocrypha and says that Scripture indicates that the word brethren signifies cousin. He said, certain people who follow the ravings of the Apocrypha fancy that the brethren of the Lord are the sons of Joseph from another wife 
and invent a certain woman, Melka or Eska, as is contained in the books which we wrote against Tilvidius, he said, we understand as brethren of the Lord, not the sons of Joseph, but the cousins of the Savior, children of Mary, the Lord's maternal aunt, who is said to be the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Jude, who, as we read, were called the brethren of the Lord in another passage of the gospel. That's in Matthew 23. Indeed, he says, all scripture indicates that cousins are called brethren. St. Jerome mentions in the above text that in scriptural usage, brethren refers to cousins. He adduces many examples from both the Old and the New Testaments to illustrate this point, notably the idea that Abraham is called the brother of Lot, while we know that the latter was his nephew, and the fact that James and Jude, two of the brethren of the Lord, are clearly referred to in the Gospel of St. Mark as sons of Mary, who is evidently the sister of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He also shows by means of examples taken from Scripture that the word till designates a length of time up to which a condition shall continue, prescinding from all notion of change thereafter. He then adds that the word firstborn merely refers to the male child who opens the womb, not necessarily to him who has brothers. From the preceding evidence, we can accept the general conclusion of Jerome as the brethren of the Lord not being sons of Joseph, either before or after he was betrothed to Mary. So there we see just a survey of some of the comments that were made by major church fathers and some of the more minor church fathers about the role of St. Joseph. And just to reprise that, we notice that because there was such a paucity of information given to us about the great St. Joseph in the Gospels, the Church Fathers did not have that much to go on. So, as we saw, they concentrated primarily on his role in the Holy Family as the head of the Holy Family, the foster father of Jesus, the protector of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and her husband, but not her husband in the sense that married couples typically live together. Mary is a perpetual virgin, and the Church Fathers were very intent upon defending this doctrine. They wanted to make sure that nobody misunderstood this. Indeed, St. Jerome, when he found out that a certain Helvidius had written a tract saying that Mary had other children besides Jesus, he attacked that vigorously with his response known as Against Helvidius, and he cites St. Joseph as an example of the protector of the Blessed Virgin Mary's virginity. And this is, I think, to be understood. St. Joseph was a very humble man, extremely virtuous. He was focused on God and the things of God. He did not seek the limelight for himself. And this is why we don't see much about him in the Gospels. And what we do see of him in the writings of the Church Fathers is focused on his role as protector and defender of the Holy Family. Well, in this year of St. Joseph, let's join the Church Fathers in extolling St. Joseph's great virtues and asking him to pray for us and to help us to follow his example as ones who love Jesus Christ and love the Blessed Virgin Mary and who, like St. Joseph himself, will spend our lives doing everything we can to make everyone know about Jesus. Thank you very much for spending this time with me. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this special year of St. Joseph presentation from Relevant Radio. Invite your friends and family to sign up to receive these monthly talks at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. 
I'm Kent Blanford, and we'll be back with more right after this. So the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. Today, we're sampling from some podcasts about St. Joseph. One of St. Joseph's more common titles is Patron of the Happy and Holy Death. While the Gospels have nothing to say about Joseph's passing, we can easily picture him going to meet the Father, surrounded by Mary and Jesus. What more comfort could anyone ask for? In light of this, next up is a podcast from CatholicExchange.com. In this episode, Father Edward Looney is joined by Jeannie Ewing for a discussion of how St. Joseph is patron of a happy and holy death. You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I am Father Edward Looney, a contributor to Catholic Exchange and also today's guest host as I speak with Jeannie Ewing. Jeannie Ewing is a Catholic spirituality writer who writes about moving through grief, the value of redemptive suffering, and how to wait for God's timing fruitfully. Her books include Navigating Deep Waters, From Grief to Grace, A Sea Without a Shore, For Those Who Grieve, and waiting with purpose. I am happy to be speaking with Jeannie today about one of her recent Catholic Exchange articles, St. Joseph, our patron saint of a happy and holy death. It is the year of St. Joseph, and it only makes sense for us to give him greater consideration during this special year. Let's learn now from Jeannie Ewing the role of St. Joseph in our spiritual life and in her life. Now, one of the things is you wrote a piece, like I mentioned in the intro, for Catholic Exchange about St. Joseph. And we know that St. Joseph is our patron saint of a happy and a holy death, also part of the title of your article. You brought out a few different aspects of St. Joseph's life in this article. And one of the things you specifically mentioned was St. Joseph waited for God's guidance and he promptly followed it. I think that you're probably writing from your own personal experience. As you see that play out in the life of St. Joseph, you also realize that that's happened in your own life. I'm just wondering, how have you experienced this trait of waiting for God's guidance and following it in your life, just like St. Joseph did? Yeah, I think I've done it my whole life, if I really want to be deep about it. So when when I was about five years old, this was kind of like a significant memory to me. I just remember being in my room and like looking at all these um, holy cards and um, rosaries that my mom had given me. I had this little baby booty that I stored things that were treasures in. And I just remember that was the first time I really felt this power of the Holy Spirit in me where I said to God, what resulted from this experience was I said, I want to do big things in my life. Mm -hmm. And 
from that moment on, I would say kind of like peppered through my life, there have been significant moments, almost like, you know, the conversion of St. Paul with these, these lightning bolts. And I feel like I'm struck um, completely off guard. But I would say like, if I look at St. Joseph and his presence, it's been really more of this quiet peripheral hmm. presence in my life. And I think that my relationship with him really started to be modeled after my relationship with my dad, because my father is, to me, he's always been, he's epitomized what I always thought St. Joseph was like. My father is a quiet person. He doesn't tend to speak unless it's really important. And then people tend to listen. He has this very deep and very keen awareness of other people's needs and suffering. And so again, here's another point, I guess the significant point in my life where I could say, I think St. Joseph was part of this part of my journey. Um, when I was in middle school, my father was the president of St. Vincent de Paul society at our parish, our home parish. And he had, he ended up in that role for a very long time. But I remember he specifically invited my brother and me or highly encouraged us to join him on some of his calls. And so it was kind of uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't know these people and I don't really, I'm a pretty shy person by nature. I'm very introverted. And so I was not comfortable with this, but I went, I guess, out of curiosity. And this is what I saw in my father and what I believe is kind of this mirror of the spirituality of St. Joseph in that he um, would present whatever this person needed. So for one apartment, this woman needed a um, help with her, I don't know, a utility bill or something. And so my dad simply gave her a check, but he didn't just give her a check and walk away. Like he had a conversation with her. He introduced my brother and me to her. Um, he asked if there's anything else that he could do, but not in a business-like way. And that's something that really made a significant impact in my life because then we went grocery shopping with him after that one. And we bought groceries for another woman who was in need and, and delivered them to her. And so um, that was another pivotal moment where St. Joseph kind of taught me what it's like to just allow God to move and not be such a bulldozer, which tends to be more of my temperament. I tend to be more of a choleric where I want to get things done and I don't have a lot of patience. And so my dad being this um, spiritual leader in my family really taught me the uh, power, I would say, in waiting for God's timing for the movement of the Holy Spirit and then acting and um, when he tells us to act, when he calls us to move. Yeah, so much, you know, we see it lived out by other people, they model it for us, and then we begin to live it ourselves in our own life. And that's one of the things with the saints is that whether it's Joseph or Mary or any other saint, they really offer us an example. And we can look to the holy men and women we know in our lives, like our parents, not canonized saints, but just the fact that they modeled the Christian life for us. Now, in your piece, too, you wrote that St. Joseph was patient, meek, prudent, and pure. So you kind of enumerated some of these different qualities of St. Joseph. How can St. Joseph really inspire us to walk this path of virtue? Or maybe better put, how do we attain patience, meekness, prudence, and purity today? Now, we don't have to talk about each one of them, but maybe just about walking the path of virtue in light of St. Joseph. How do this... Yeah. In this. That's a big question because those you could go pretty deep with each one of those. Um, how do we walk the path of virtue and how does St. Joseph help us do that? Well, I think 
you know, everyone tends to focus on the fact that St. Joseph never spoke a word in the Bible. It's like all that people go to. But I think um, if we really look at our own lives, especially living in this information technological age, I don't think most of us know how to do that. We don't know how to put distance between ourselves and maybe what we want to attain, if it's a goal or if it's um, maybe in a career or if it's um, recognition or accolades of some sort. Sometimes we tend to want to be front and center when it comes to family life. So we want to be the one making all the decisions. I know that I'm, I'm very much like that. It's very hard for me to step back and allow my husband to lead. And I think St. Joseph's example shows me at least, and I don't know if this speaks to anyone else who's listening, but in my life and in my experience, I feel like the, that the greatest virtue is developed from humility. And humility comes from a sense of allowing God to empty us so that he can fill us with himself. And so not being so pretentious, not being so focused on um, what what appearances or like keeping up with experiences or vanity. I mean, these are different vices that kind of, I think, can grip us in different ways in our life, but they're all rooted in pride, right? And St. Joseph was perfectly content, completely at peace with basically being a nobody, a nobody by the world standards and even by some religious scholars, right? And yet um, he had this really, really crucial role, especially being the leader of his home. And I think it would take an immense amount of humility. The I think of the um, the verse in scripture that talks about to whom much is given, much will be required. He was given a great task and he knew that. And so that's why I think the humility in him was so great because he knew he had to remain rooted in that virtue in order to accomplish this great task that God had planned for him. And that's true for us too. So I know that when I go back to this place of, um, okay, God, I don't really know what you're asking of me right now. And I don't really know if I can attain anything, but I know that if I just allow you to move and work and I just wait for your timing, then maybe this greatness will come about. So I think when we we want to achieve something that we think is valuable or important, it tends to be by the world standards, by secular standards. But then we lose sight of the fact that with great achievement comes great responsibility. And that often we lose sight in, right? Or sight of, because we don't remember our obligation to others and to care for even greater in greater ways, not just monetarily, but working for causes that have to do with um, caring for all of humanity and speaking on behalf of the defenseless. So I think that's important, at least it is for me, to keep in perspective, like, I want to go after this big thing, but wait a minute, more is going to be asked of me, more is going to be required. And there kind of there's kind of that balance of blessing and burden. And St. Joseph wisely knew that. And that's why I think he um, was always going back to that virtue of humility. That was probably a really long answer, but you can go in a lot of directions with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we look at the virtue, we see how they live the virtue and it kind of just gives us something to attain to. And, you know, we're not going to come become humble 
100% overnight, but we can begin to take those steps. We can begin to choose to be humble. We can choose to be patient. I think these virtues really are a choice for us. And as the saints model it, well, then we take that model and say, well, I want to be more like them. And then we begin to try to live it out in our life. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you're a priest, Father Edward, and you have lots of conversations, I'm sure, about this sort of, you kind of see how this plays a role in people's lives, how it plays out in their lives. You know, this, this interior struggle all the time between virtue and vice. And um, I see it as a mom in my home with my kids, especially, you know, I can see in all of them as they get older and their temperaments, I can see, oh, okay, this is going to be a big challenge. So my husband and I talk about how are we going to try to mold and form our child, like the strengths of her temperament or his temperament, while trying to help him or her recognize the double-edged sword part of it. Like this is this is the weakness that we have or the struggle or the temptation that I have. And how can I actually, you know, capitalize on the good things the gifts and my temperament. So, um, of course, I'm not trying to say that I think everyone's going to be like this perfectly virtuous, pious person if they have this strong devotion to St. Joseph. That's certainly not the case in my life or in my family. But I think what's beautiful for me primarily as a grief writer, which is why I wanted to walk, um, in my mind at least, through how St. Joseph can journey with us towards a happy, holy death. Um, I noticed that as complex as life is, it's really in the messy wrestling and the big questions and the big feelings. That's where I think this pruning and this refining happens most often, where we are actually growing in some particular virtue, but we don't see it because we're so tangled up in the wrestling or we're trying to get past um, a bad habit or break some sort of vice or weakness. And so um, I want to, I guess, iterate to your audience that it's not really about achieving perfection and certainly isn't overnight. It's never going to be that way on earth. But it's more about the striving and it's more about the persevering. And I think that um, one of my favorite things about St. Joseph is his radical trust. Like he just didn't question how crazy these dreams were or all these requests from God. He just yeah. did it. And so it's, to me, I feel like how does that, what does that look like for us? It looks like a very keen receptivity to whatever God's asking of us. And it's often going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable and maybe even sound a little weird. But if we're kind of tuned into the way he talks to us, the way St. Joseph was tuned into the Holy Spirit, then I think that we're going to find that in this daily wrestling or this mess, uh, and complexity of life, that we will see that there is some fruit, some good fruit that is born from that wrestling. Does that make sense? Hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned suffering, and you mentioned just a few moments ago about being a grief writer, that's one of the areas that you specialize in and focus on. Well, St. Joseph is the patron saint of a happy and a holy death. And I guess I'd be interested to know what is his interplay then? How do you view St. Joseph as kind of a model for someone in a time of grief? How could someone turn to um, St. Joseph? It, it's easy for us to turn to Mary because she loses St. Joseph. She mm -hmm. loses her son, watches him die on the cross. I think there are minor griefs, at least in St. Joseph's life, like when he has to flee into Egypt. That's a grief, leaving behind homeland and family and all this thing, all those things. 
how can St. Joseph be an example in times of grief? Actually, I think probably the biggest grief that St. Joseph likely experienced was the fact that he was not the biological father of the only child that he would, you know, raise with the Blessed Mother and that um, there had there had to be some sense of loss in that. And if you re- remember, I don't know if your audience has watched the Nativity movie from like 15 years ago or something, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's like a point in there where he uh, is... Um, leading the donkey with the blessed mother, obviously super pregnant. And they are um, on their way to Bethlehem. And this woman, like in the marketplace, she offers the blessed mother, this little tart or something. I don't know. And then she shakes St. Joseph's hand and said, there's no greater joy than to see your reflection in a child, in your child. And the blessed mother turns and looks at him because she knows that he will never know that, that that's a particular suffering or cross or grief that he carried. And so, um, I do think he had greater griefs than what we're aware of. I absolutely do, particularly because of the responsibility with which he was entrusted of basically Jesus's whole formation and his safety and protection and everything. So, okay, how can St. Joseph accompany us in our grief? Well, I think it's for the the points that you mentioned earlier, which I, I iterated in my article about um, the, the particular virtues that he exemplified, like patience, um, patience in our suffering. So, um, Grief is a very particular suffering that I think we don't often recognize because we might call it depression. Um, We might call it anxiety. And certainly we tend to ignore it or deny it. But see, St. Joseph is saying, no, it's his example, his life. He's saying, you know, if we kind of wade through the really dark and painful parts of that grief, then we will... In, at one point when we die and we have that hope and our eternal reward, we will reach our own resurrection, so to speak, right? Like the little resurrection, not the big resurrection when Jesus comes. <laughs> but um, I think that that's one way. So if we look at his his particular virtues, and some of them tend to be more of the feminine qualities that we think of, like receptivity and patience and meekness, those, are, those tend to be more feminine types of virtues that we think of. But um, in those, there is this vulnerability. Grief certainly makes us vulnerable because we feel exposed. We feel raw. We feel um, in some ways that a part of us has died, and which is true. So I think there are a lot of different ways that St. Joseph can be this comfort and consolation to us when we're grieving, particularly, and even if in our own death particularly in that regard. But the greatest and most powerful title that is my favorite title of St. Joseph is Terror of Demons. Mm. Because if you think about it, grief can sometimes feel like this battle, this warfare. It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this wrestling. But truly, the closer that we get to our own death, truthfully, we will experience this intensity uh, and this increase of intensity of this battle, right, for our soul. And so I think invoking St. Joseph and just having this devotion to him throughout our life, we will, perhaps when we actually are facing our own death, realize that he is fighting that battle for us 
because we will doubt and we will be tempted to despair and we will see all of the things that we should have done that we didn't do in our life and all of the things that we did do wrong that we never amended or rectified. And he's going to be right there by our side, along with the Blessed Mother, along with our guardian angels and all of our patron saints to really um, fight for us so that we can attain heaven. That's great. And you know what? A lot of people say they love that title, Terror of Demons. And I've done a lot of study on St. Louis de Montfort. And St. Louis de Montfort in The Secrets of the Rosary talks about the battle that happens for a soul at the time of death. And so being devoted to the rosary, pray, asking Mary, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, that really she does come to our aid. She comes to our help as we draw our dying breath. And I think St. Joseph, as you mentioned, he does that too. Now, how can someone pray to St. Joseph uh, for a happy and a holy death? Well, I'm sure that there are specific prayers if people are of that variety. I don't know of any. For me, my devotion to St. Joseph is not so formal. Um, it's It tends to be rooted more in a conversation. And I guess that's kind of more like the closer I become to a particular saint, I tend to just naturally and kind of organically move away from the formality of like a novena or a chaplet or a rosary. I do have a chaplet of St. Joseph. I used to pray a long time ago, pretty regularly, um, which are good. These are good things. I'm not telling your audience not to do them. I'm just saying, I think that eventually in any relationship, as we deepen that relationship, we tend to just allow it to naturally unfold. So my pastor, um, the first Sunday of Lent said in his homily, prayer is not about technique. It's about relationship. So that's true for St. Joseph too. I think it's that instead of focusing on what kind of prayer or what kind of technique that we can focus on, we can actually think about, well, what kind of relationship can I build with him? Where can I start? And if that means starting with a chaplet of St. Joseph or a novena, um, like we're in the no time of doing a novena now, or maybe the consecration to St. Joseph, like Father Calloway has written the book about, um, we can certainly do those things. And I think that they kind of allow this rudimentary basis upon which we can spring into a deeper love and devotion and relationship to him. As a wife, as a mother, are there specific petitions that you bring to St. Joseph? I do. Um, I pray every day for my husband, for his vocation as the head of our home, for his career, for his safety and protection, I ask St. Joseph to guide him because um, Ben uh, leads family prayer at the end of the day. So that naturally evolves into conversation with the kids about virtues and vices and habits and things like that, or if we're in a liturgical season. So I do pray to St. Joseph every day for my husband. Um, and I've been actually invoking him lately under the title of terror of demons because of some people I know who are experiencing clear spiritual attack. And so um, as far as like for my kids, I haven't really done that yet, but sure. that gives me something to think about. Yeah. I would imagine that as a mother, sometimes you probably turn to St. Joseph to pray for their chastity, for their purity. For oh, their yeah. That's a good point. In that, point in that regard. So, but it's great that you pray for him daily, uh, pray to him, ask his intercession for your husband. So that's kind of when I crafted that question, in my mind, uh, that's really the point I want to bring out that because when I reflected on how can a wife and mother be devoted to St. Joseph, I'm like, it's gotta be for their husband. 
that that they will be protected. And, you know, even that title, Terror of Demons, again, go back to it. Well, the demons that haunt a man, though, that we need that intercession, especially under that title. You know, in the Litany of St. Joseph, it calls him the glory of domestic life. So what a great example. Your, your husband leads family prayer. So you have that that he's really exemplifying that domestic life, that domestic church. So it seems like uh, your family is well on the way to having St. Joseph as a wonderful patron and intercessor, and uh, surely you're enjoying his prayers from above. Yes, yes, for sure. Thank you for that tip. I'm going to start praying to him for my kids for their chastity and purity too. That's great. So, well, I'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day as a wife, as a mother. How many kids do you have? Five kids. You have five kids. And so you've taken time away uh, to be with me to discuss St. Joseph today. And uh, if people want to learn more about you, Jeannie, and the work you do, how can they do that? Uh, they can go to my website, genieewing.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn too. Yeah. And I went to your website and I saw, you know, kind of the, the title up at the top is helping women grieve their loss. And so that is what you specialize in as a Catholic spiritual spirituality writer who focuses, focuses on topics of grief, redemptive suffering, and waiting. And so sometimes grief is associated with that. I know that you opened my eyes uh, to what grief is more beyond than just the grief of the death of a loved one, but that there are many, many other types of grief a person can experience. And I think I had a very close-minded perspective on grief. So I'm grateful for the work you've done because it's brought in my own perspective. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's encouraging. Thank you, Jeannie, for joining me today on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I know, along with so many other readers, including myself, we look forward to your continued contributions to Catholic Exchange. You can continue to follow Catholic Exchange by following them on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. And if you don't mind, please make a donation to Catholic Exchange in order to keep the lights on and the words continuing to be published as we bring you uplifting and inspiring content each and every day. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I've been serving as the guest host today on Catholic Exchange. And I look forward to future conversations that I'll be able to share with you. God bless. Hey everyone, this is Michael Litchens, your editor at CatholicExchange.com. I want to thank Father Looney very much for guest hosting. This was an incredible thing he's done. He had a great conversation with Jeannie, as you heard. If you want to check out his work, we did an interview with him just a couple weeks back about his latest book, Meditations for After Holy Communion, which I highly recommend that you pick up. Also, check out both of them on Facebook, Twitter, all those wonderful links. We'll put them in the show notes as well as links to their books. If you have any questions, would like to see or hear more from Father Looney, email me, editor at catholicexchange.com. Otherwise, thank you all very much for joining us. God love you. Have a lovely weekend, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford, and we'll be back with more right after this. You're in your car listening to Catholic Radio Indy, but you arrive at your destination and can't stick around for the whole show. What do you do? Well, now you can go to catholicradioindy.org, click on the podcast button, and hear just about every show we broadcast. Whether it's a local program like Faith in Action, Go Rebuild My Church, or The Catholic Cave, or an offering from EWTN like Teresa Tomio, Jeanette Williams, Dr. Ray, or Cresta in the afternoon, you have access to your favorites 24-7. Give it a try. 
That's catholicradioindy.org podcasts. It's just one more way we can share the message of God's love with you from your friends here at Catholic Radio Indy. When you're tired of doing life alone, come back here. We enjoy the company. We hope you do too. Better together. Catholic Radio Indy. This is Catholic Radio Indy. We couldn't do it without your support. This station is listener-supported. If you're one of our regular donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, visit catholicradioindy.org or call us at 317-870-8400. And wrapping up today's sampler, we have two episodes of 3-Minute Theology with Joan Watson, both exploring the life of St. Joseph. The first, dealing with the hidden years of Jesus' life, and the second, exploring St. Joseph and the concept of a happy death. Today I want to look at what you might call the hidden life of Christ. Those first 30 or so years of Christ's life that he lived in relative obscurity in Nazareth. We call these the hidden life because we don't know that much about Jesus' life, other than he worked as a carpenter and was known to be the son of Joseph and Mary. So oftentimes we kind of glaze over these ta- this time, right? We think about the infancy narratives, we talk about the nativity, we talk about the presentation in the temple, we have this little blip of when he was 12 and we see him getting lost in the temple, and then we go towards his baptism, right? And so we skip over what was the majority of his life. The majority of Jesus' life was spent in Nazareth, working with his hands and being obedient to Mary and Joseph. What can we learn from this? Well, we see that Christ was already beginning his salvific work there in Nazareth, working with his hands. He sanctified work. He showed us that work was good, that work could help us in our quest for holiness. He showed us that obedience to parents was good. He showed us that family life was good. He showed us that friendships were good. He sanctified these things by participating in them. So we see that Christ's hidden life has a lesson for us, that we too can become holy in relative obscurity. I think we have to remember that we're not all called to worldly greatness. Not all of us will be on the front page of newspapers. But all of us can make a difference in our little, humble lives. And we can all become holy right where God put us. The Catechism says the hidden life at Nazareth allows everyone to enter into fellowship with Jesus by the most ordinary events of daily life. For most of Christ's life, he was not performing miracles. He was not preaching. He was living a life very similar to your life, to my life. He was working He was living in friendship. He was living in obedience. And so we too are called to live in fellowship with Christ in our ordinary life. And let us make those ordinary lives extraordinary with God's grace living in that life that he sanctified by participating in it. Go and make those ordinary days of your life extraordinary with God's grace. And that's a little theology in three minutes.
St. Joseph is invoked as the patron of a happy death. And so today I want to look a little closer at that phrase, happy death. What does that mean? When we look at death, we have to remember that we weren't really created to die. God created us body and soul. So that separation of the body and soul, what we call death, is a result of sin. It's not the way God created us. We see it in Catechism 1008 that death is a result of original sin. And so death is difficult and hard. Why? Because it's not what God intended. Death is a suffering. And we have to remember that if we experience this suffering, if we experience this hardship, it doesn't mean that we aren't holy. St. Augustine saw this, where St. Augustine really struggled when his own mother died because he was grieving his mother. And so he struggled with this feeling because he thought, if I'm a Christian and she lived a good, holy life, if she died in grace, why am I upset that she died if, if she's on her way to heaven? And he had to grapple with the fact that, well, it's natural to grieve this loss. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're less holy. And so when we look at suffering, remember, we've talked about this in previous episodes, that suffering is evil, but God can bring good out of that evil. Look at the good he brought out of the most horrific death of all, his own. So let's look at St. Joseph as this patron of happy death. What does that mean? It, well, it doesn't mean that death might not be hard or difficult or full of suffering. But we pray to St. Joseph for a happy death because tradition tells us that St. Joseph died in the arms of Jesus and Mary. And so isn't that what we want for ourselves and all our loved ones? And so we pray to St. Joseph for a happy death. That might sound kind of bizarre that we're praying for death, but we're praying for a happy death. We're praying that we too will die in the presence of Jesus and Mary. And so pray for your loved ones and pray for your own happy death and live your life with that in mind that all of this is passing and that what matters is what is to come. And so all my decisions of life should be made with heaven in mind. Is this going to get me closer to heaven? Is this going to glorify God? We call it memento mori, to live with our death in view because we want to live for heaven. And that's a little theology in three minutes. And with that, this week's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler comes to an end on Catholic Radio Indy. This program is available as a podcast at catholicradioindy.org. St. Joseph, pray for us. I'm Kent Blanford. Take care, and until next time, may God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.